Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the special snow edition of the Conversation on New Jersey Education. Uh, this is Ray Penny uh, with New Jersey School Board Association. Uh, this is a special meeting because normally we would have a legislative committee meeting for New Jersey School Board Association at this time. But due to the weather, we uh, decided to give this legislative update to the legislative committee members uh, online on the Blog Talk Radio uh, network. And it's open to guests, too. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go through several of the issues that are before us. And uh, if you have any questions, all you have to do is dial 1-347-989-8904 and press the number 1 uh, to let me know that you're ready to speak. Uh, Christy and Amory are working the switchboard, and they will put your name up on the screen so I know who I'm talking to. Right now, um, uh, there's quite a few up there, and if Christy and Amory, if you could just get me the names of those people, those phone numbers, that would be very helpful. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have um, our first uh, speaker today would be uh, Sharon. Sharon Seiler, to give us a federal update on the issues from the federal government like uh, the reauthorization, uh, school breakfast, and some other issues. Uh, Sharon, uh, why don't you uh, start with the reauthorization update? Oh, wait, hold it. Regarding reauthorization, last week the Republicans drafted two bills for discussion. Um, And I do have a comparison list between the House and the Senate, which I will email everyone out on Monday. But if you uh, take these two bills and you compare to the Senate bipartisan bill that was approved by the Health, Labor, and Pensions Committee in October, it shows that the Republicans in the House basically opposed everything that the Senate approved. Um, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, Congress wants to mandate teacher evaluations partly based on student outcomes. Senate only wants teacher evaluations based on performance. Congress wants to eliminate the competitive grants, which I I think I've spoken about that before. The Senate wants to keep them. But an interesting point of why Congress wants to eliminate the grants is that they want to increase Title I and IDEA. And the reason they want to do that, they want to increase each one by a billion dollars, is that they're trying to merge some other programs into Title I. And uh, some of those programs are for migrant students, neglected and delinquent children, rural students, and Indian children, and the Senate wants no part of that. The only item that both the House and the Senate agree on is the elimination of AYP. And uh, last week we had Congressman Rob Andrews speak at the Camden-Gloucester County School Board's meeting, and you can listen to his comments online on the School Board's Notes uh, webpage about individualizing standardized testing, special education curriculum, and eliminating the competitive grants. So with these bills up for discussion, National School Boards feels that the timing of the Federal Relations Network Conference is crucial because this is the time that board members now can voice their concerns to Congress and Senate at a time when there's actually some activity with reauthorization. Not to say that it may move real quickly, but uh, Based on the opposition, I would say that probably there would still be no movement until after the next presidential election. And right now, I think that's pretty much 
it on the reauthorization. I just want to mention a couple of things about the FRN conference, which is in a couple of weeks. We have uh, 25 people attending, and this year Congressman Rush Holt will be one of our keynote speakers at the conference, and we're very happy to have New Jersey represented at the conference this year. And anyone listening who's attending the conference, if you haven't gotten your homework assignment from National School Boards, go to the NSBA.org website and click on the FRM conference, and there's a link to download the assignment. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is our school breakfast programs. And um, this week, all the school districts, including charters, received a letter from the New Jersey Department of Agriculture and the New Jersey Department of Education concerning school breakfast programs. Um, it's the New Jersey Department of Agriculture's mission this year to increase our ranking in New Jersey because we're ranked 46th in participation of breakfast programs. So they listed a few options in order for districts to get involved. Um, is that okay if I keep going? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll just give, give you a couple of the options. Um, adjust the start time so children can eat breakfast at school. Uh, classroom breakfast so that you could eat classroom in your first period. Uh, grab and go breakfast from a mobile cart in order to eat prior to class. Breakfast to go so you could pick up a bag breakfast from the cafeteria and bring it to the classroom. And a second chance breakfast, which is offered sometime after first period during recess or some other period. And I attended a meeting last week with the other education associations, the Department of Agriculture and the American Dairy Council. And the American Dairy Council is making this their mission to work with New Jersey this year to get all the districts involved somehow. So they're giving you options so that you just don't have to have breakfast in the cafeteria every morning and have these kids come in earlier, but if they get they come off the bus, they're able to pick something up and and eat. You know, obviously eating breakfast definitely helps their their day. And in some of these districts, school meals are the best part of their day because if they go home, they might, you know, might not really have a, a real a, a real meal. So uh, anyway, there is a letter. Um, I have a copy of it. I will email it to everyone. But your, all your districts did get it last week. Um, if, ask your BA or your, your superintendent, and um, I'm sure it will be a discussion in one of your board meetings coming up. And right now, that's pretty much all I have. Um, does anybody have any questions? Uh, I don't see any questions uh, at this moment. Uh, just one more thing on FRN. Uh, um, is Rush Holt one of the speakers at FRN? If I... Yeah, he's a keynote speaker at the conference. Did I say that? Yeah. Okay. He, is, he was invited uh, by National School Boards Association. Uh, I should I should just emphasize this. We've been keeping a dialogue with Rush Holt throughout the year, and we've gone down to visit him, and we talked about one of the, the bills, the flexibility and spending bill, and we went down in October and talked about that because he wanted to put forth some amendments to that, and they didn't go through. And we're trying to come up with some alternatives um, in order to have some sort of tracking of spending. So um, I, ha I have to say that FRN has been at least a way for us to keep the relationship on the federal level with all our leaders in Washington, and it's definitely paying off. 
Okay. Uh, and if anyone's interested in meeting with any of their congressmen at a, any other time or communicating, they should contact you? Definitely. We can we follow up after the conference um, in New Jersey, and uh, that's how we got Rob Andrews to come and speak at the Camden-Gloucester uh, County School Boards Association meeting. And, uh, you know, any time, uh, they're very willing to, to talk to you. Okay. I see a couple of hands up. Uh, but Mike Vancek, you have joined us too. Hello, Ray. Yes, Mike. We okay. You're on. Uh, do you have anything to add to the federal update that Sharon just gave? Uh, I think she did a pretty good job of covering everything. It's it's really critically important that everybody pay attention to what's happening in Washington, because with tight federal uh, budgets, um, there's additional concern about state funding and the local budgets. So we have to pay attention to what's going on in Washington because we need every dollar the federal government can send to New Jersey. Okay, great. And I have to just uh, – I went to – attended a meeting where um, Con- Congressman Roberts was there, uh, Andrews was there, and uh, it was very – I think all the attendees really appreciated him coming and speaking to them and spending so much time. And uh, he, I think he was very candid with them also. It, it's a great clip that we have on School Board Notes. So um – Really take advantage of listening to that. Okay, I see a hand up. I'll see if uh, she has a question on federal issues. Uh, Ava, uh, do you have a question on uh, federal issues at all? Or yes, I do. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I heard Sharon say that we're not the uh, Congress may not reauthorize. Um, with no child left behind and all of that until after the presidential elections. We don't know for sure, but I'd have to say that with the the blocking of, you know, one wants one thing and the other doesn't, I, do, I don't know that this will move that quickly. Um, where do I know we that stand? There, there, there's definitely more discussion than we've ever had before, but politically I just I, I don't see it moving that quickly. Well, that leads me to my question. Where do we stand, uh, where does New Jersey stand on the waiver then, and not being held to the AYP standards if there's no reauthorization yet. Well, the, with the waiver, this, you know, when we talked to Rob Andrews, basically it, the waiver will take place, and they won't have to move on the reauthorization that quickly because we'll be fo- if we get the waiver, we'll be following the terms of the waiver. Okay. Any indication when the waiver may come through? Um, I, actually, I haven't heard. Mike, do you know? I think I think we'll, we'll hear something probably by February, and I say that because they they did this in in cycles, and New Jersey was one of the first groups of states to apply. Some other states are only applying now, and I think as as they begin to receive the next round of applications, the federal government will most likely make a decision on the first round. And Rob Andrews seemed to think that that it was inevitable that we would get the the, the waiver approval. Okay, Ava? Okay, thanks. I'll put you back on hold and press once uh, uh, again. All right. uh, David, do you have a question? Um, Hi, Ray. How are you doing? Hi, Sharon. Uh, Ava actually asked my uh, question Uh, in terms of the the status of the uh, waiver and the timeline. So February sounds very very, uh, terrific if that happens. (laughs) I think there's three... uh, 
times that you can uh, apply for the waiver. We were the first in November, then I think there's February, and then I think sometime in the spring. So I'm sure before um, the, the next installment, we should be hearing something. Is there, is there any indication that the uh, uh, federal department is um, inclined to uh, change uh, much of the uh, application, New Jersey's application, or is there, I mean, what I'm trying to ask is: there a lot of disagreement that you are aware of between uh, the state and the feds, or is pretty much everybody on the same page? With the way of the Department of Education, that New Jersey Department of Education applied for the waiver, were on the terms of what the the U.S. Department of Education wanted. Okay. So I don't so, think that be too many too many issues. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Dave. I'll put you back in hold. I'll ask that you press one. That'll put your hand down, so if you want to ask a question later on one of the other issues, I know that, okay? Okay. So I Oops, I put you on hold already, Dave. Sorry. Uh, John Van Noy has a question, too. Hi, John. Yes, good morning. Uh, Sharon, I have a question. I'm going to the conference from the 4th to the uh, through the 6th, and I was uh, in February, and I was wondering if we would also have an opportunity to meet with Senator Menendez or uh, Lautenberg. I haven't sent so, your. I haven't sent the schedule out yet, but the first two meetings in the morning are with both Senate offices. Now, not to say that I'm not going to guarantee you that we'll meet with the senators themselves, but I'm hoping that we will. But we'll definitely meet with their staff. Okay, um, what day would that be? In the that's uh, on the seventh. That's the day on the hill. Oh, and okay. And that's Tuesday. You're staying okay. till then. All right. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thanks, John. Uh, to all, everyone who already asked a question, you might want to press one again because I, I can't tell if that's your hands up for the another question or an old question. Um, I think that's it for our federal update. Uh, unless I, I don't see any other questions on that topic right now. Um, so Sharon, I'll just have you on hold. And I'm going to bring up Barbara. Coral in a few minutes, okay? Thanks, Sharon. You're welcome. Barbara? Yeah, hi, Ray. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank um, you. I have about th three or four inches, so I'm very glad we're doing it like this. Okay, um, good. Barbara, uh, you're going to give us a couple of different things. Before we go into it, but one of the things you were going to talk about was the Education Committee's uh, composition for both the Assembly and the Senate, how they've change slightly. Could you just right. uh, review that for us? Sure, yeah. Um, the uh, chairs of the education committees remain the same. Uh, in the Assembly, Assemblyman Pat Dignan remains in charge, and in the Senate, it's Senator uh, Teresa Ruiz. Um, uh, the the committees, though, both, both of the committees have some new members. Uh, in the Senate, uh, in addition to Senator Ruiz as, as the chair, or Shirley Turner, who will serve as vice chair this session, and um, Assemblyman uh, Senator James Beach uh, has joined them. On the Republican side, uh, Senator Diane Allen remains, and a new addition, Senator Mike Doherty. On the Assembly side, we only know the Democratic members, and that's uh, due to the uh, untimely uh, death of Alex DeCroach, the Republican leader in the Assembly. Um, and, but we do expect that those, um, that those assignments will come out, uh, I would hope, this week. 
Okay, so uh, on the on the, uh, the those Democratic mem- members on the Assembly Education Committee are Bonnie Watson Coleman, Vice Chair, Ralph Caputo, Myla Jacy, both of whom have served before, Angelica Jimenez, new Assemblywoman, Troy Singleton, a new Assemblyman, and Connie Wagner. Um, so that uh, that looks like our committees that um, uh, for the upcoming session. Uh, Mike, do you have any comments on the committee uh, chairs and selections? Um, I guess we can anticipate sort of a continuation of the the, the overarching perspective. Uh, Senator Ruiz is a, a sponsor of, of tenure reform and, and plans to reintroduce her legislation with some amendments. Uh, Simon Bagman has been pretty much an outspoken critic of some of the tenure reform proposals that are on the table. So um, there, there seems to be a, a philosophical conflict between the two chairs in terms of their approach. Um, Pat Dogman was the sponsor of the legislation in the last session to require a, a, a local referendum on creation of charter schools. Senator Ruiz never posted that bill. So there's a there's a, a somewhat of a tension between those two. Um, the other thing that I think will be interesting is the uh, emergence of Senator Doherty on the Senate Education Committee. He's the uh, the author of the Fair School Funding Act, and I think will have a lot to say, especially about school funding issues. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That was an interesting selection because he has been pushing that. And for our co- committee members, uh, we've been saying this for a while that. Assemblyman Dagan and Senator Ruiz have different philosophies on public education. So, right. and, and all the education bills pretty much have – well, they don't have to go through those education committees, but they usually do. Um, all right, Barb. Any, you know, I see a question here. I, I don't know if it's an old hand or not, but I'll, I'll okay. pull on her again. Ava, did you have any questions on the committee selections? I saw your no. hand. was still up. No. All right. All right. Try to press 1 I again. So. And, okay. All right, uh, Barbara, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that was passed uh, in the lame duck session was the Urban Hope Act. Could you uh, elaborate on that briefly? Sure. Uh, the Urban Hope Act uh, was a uh, much-touted bill. Uh, you may remember that during this past summer, the governor went to Camden and had a press conference with Senator Norcross to talk about uh, this new kind of uh, school, a transformational school, a new uh, choice in the array of choices as uh, the administration continues to expand its um, its uh, uh, highlighting of choice for students. And so the Urban Hope Act um, was sponsored in the Senate by Senator Norcross. If you're interested, I'll give you the assembly sponsors, Fuente, Singleton, Wilson, Dignan, Watson, Coleman, and Greenwald. So what is it? Uh, what it is really, the bill pr- provides a process to permit authorized entities to build, operate, and manage what are called Renaissance School projects as public schools. The bill hit three districts and three districts only. They were all labeled failing school districts. They are Newark, Camden, and Trenton. Uh, nonprofit entities would first apply to the local district for approval. Very important. There's local approval here. Then, if approved and when approved, to the Department of Education. The bill gives uh, the the Renaissance School projects or the transformational schools, there can be up to four of these projects in each district. Schools would be constructed on school development corporation land. That's number one possibility. Number two, land held by the district. 
or land owned by a nonprofit entity. And the bill uh, provides non-bonded financing, non-bonded financing, to pay for land acquisition, site remediation, site development, design, construction. All of these things are at the sole expense of the non-entity. And that was a very, very big contention in the bill. Um, they, the, uh, there was going to be bonding with the municipality. Uh, it caused a ruckus. There are people who um, uh, uh, t- uh, testified against it, uh, and Senator Norcross took it out of the bill. So how will this all be paid for? State funds may be used to pay for a lease, debt service, or mortgage for any facility constructed or acquired. The nonprofit entity is not subject to the provisions of the public school contracts law. However, all work uh, that takes place is going to be deemed public work and and thus subject to the prevailing wage act. Renaissance schools will be paid an amount 95%, equal to 95% of the district's per pupil expenditure. So they get, where charter schools get 90% of funding, they're going to get 5% more to go towards the facility. These payments will include security and special education categorical aid amounts, and if applicable, 100% of the preschool education aid. Federal funding for each student shall be paid if the student is entitled to it, which, of course, goes without saying. So who's going to go to these Renaissance schools? Uh, if it's on a SDC land, School, uh, school Development uh, Corporation land, or on Renaissance School District land, the students residing in the attendance area for that property will be enrolled. So the property kind of controls who can go there. If the parent doesn't want to send the child to that particular Renaissance school, they have the right to enroll the child in another Renaissance school in the Renaissance district. So remember, there can be up to four schools in each one of these districts. So um, if it's, say, for example, two elementary schools, whatever the configuration is, uh, the parent who resides in that area where the land, where the actual siting of the building is, will have that decision. Now, if that doesn't work and there are extra spaces, a lottery will determine who gets them. The selection process may not discriminate on the basis of intellectual or athletic ability, measures of achievement or aptitude, status as a handicapped individual, or proficiency in English. All of those standards have to apply. However, the school may limit admission to a particular grade depending on its organizational uh, document, and that makes sense to any of us who have done um, reconfigurations of school districts. If you're going, you know, you're moving, if you've got a K2 or you decide to to change your organizational structure, everybody can, can understand that limitation. Who's going to work there? Big question, right? Workers will have bargaining units. Uh, and thus, it had the, this bill had the support of the NJEA. All teachers, principals, and administrators will hold appropriate certification and shall possess, <coughs> pardon me, tenure rights. <coughs> Excuse me. The nonprofit entity shall be subject to PERC, uh, obviously, because they're, they're going to be uh, unions. How long will this go on? Well, once authorized, uh, it will be 10 years from the date of the opening, subject to periodic reviews by the commissioner. If there's no breach of agreement, no problem with the school once it's up and running, they're going to get an automatic renewal after five years. Um, Here's interesting for all of you, I'm sure. Academically, um, under ASK and HESPA proficiency, they've got to achieve a a 15% 
um, more for students in these, these things, language, arts, literacy, math, or both after five years, and 25% more after 10 years, or if they achieve state-level proficiency standards that exist during that period. Barbara, so, you mean 15% more and 25% more than the host district or what that, that building that, did before? That is being achieved now in, in these failing districts because the, the bill had very, very specific – that's why I said it only applied to these three districts because the bill actually was written to say what those – the numbers in the bill only applied to those three districts. Um, and um, and to make sure, I think they're, they're, we're going to see um, uh, monitoring of these. There are going to be periodic assessments by the commissioner on meeting their goals and improving student achievement. Each school project has to submit an annual report. It will be made public available. The commissioner will have ongoing access to all recordies, r- records that, that are kept in all facilities at all times. Going to be an independent review five years following the date of the opening of the third Renaissance School Project, or 10 years after the opening of the first, whichever comes first. And as much as I've read that, I can't figure out exactly what it means. So um, that, that's a, that's, I hope nobody has that question. So essentially, uh, that is the Urban Hope Act. Um, you know, as I said, it, there was a lot of fanfare about this. When anything is introduced by the governor standing arm in arm with a member of the opposite party, particularly uh, a powerhouse like Senator Norcross. Uh, it wasn't a question of, of if this was going to happen. It was merely a question of when. Uh, and it was all wrapped up with a lot of amendments on the last day. Uh, I can tell you that Senator Rice fiercely, fiercely uh, fought to get Newark out of the bill, uh, and uh, he was not successful. But as I said, there were amendments, for example, on the financing. That was a very big deal. Um, uh, and uh, some other things took place. So that's it, that's it essentially on okay. our Okay. Uh, before we go on, mm-hmm. uh, John Bellina, I think you've joined us. Yes, uh, I'm here. Uh, sorry about joining late. I had some technical difficulties on this end. Uh, I just I had a question, though, for Barbara, and it very kind of ties in with one you just asked about the performance standards. So yep. that in five years and ten years, the numbers will be relative to the performance standards of those districts today or five and, or relative to the standards of five and ten years from now? No, I, I would say, John, that I, I don't think the bill gets that specific. It says what I said to you, uh, what I reported. Uh, so I would say that the standards we, would be compared to what they are now. Okay. Okay, I mean, that's gotta be, they've got to start with a benchmark with what's going on in that district now. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, we had a question last night at the Board of Directors on this. Do you want to just elaborate on it and answer? Um, um, I, I, I guess my recollection and a key point here is that we supported the Urban Hope Act in part because it was a very limited pilot, but mostly because the legislation has a provision that requires as a condition of these things moving forward that the local boards pass a resolution in support. Without the resolution passed by the local board, the, these, these Renaissance schools can't move forward. And that was significant for us because it, it, it registered with, with the, the legislature that local boards of education need to have a role in, in, in education reform initiatives. And I talked directly to Senator Norcross about this, and I thanked him that 
in the context of this entire discussion, we continually said that the, the association and local board members have a lot of ideas about moving forward with education reform initiatives that will benefit student achievement in their districts, but they know best what works in their districts. Hence, the idea that local boards have the initial approval was, was a key component in our decision to support this. Okay, before we move on to charter school, I just want to remind uh, the listeners, if you want to ask a question, you press 1. If you've asked a question already, and uh, you press 1 and take your hand down. So you keep pressing 1 back and forth. So if anyone has any questions later on, uh, just press 1, and Christy or Anne-Marie will uh, get your name, and so I can call on you. Uh, moving on, one of the issues that I know will be heavily discussed in is charter schools. Uh, I think there's been agreement on both sides that they want to relook at the the charter school law from both parties. I know Senator Kane and Senator Sweeney have said so much on our our blog talk radio show. Uh, what else is happening in the in the area of charter schools, Barbara? Well, actually, there's lots happening in the area of charter schools because, as you know, a lot of it was left unresolved at the end of the last session. We saw a lot of charter school bills with there were hearings. Um, we testified. Um, and a lot of the issues were left unresolved uh, with regard to charter schools. And when uh, Mike and I attended the Governor's State of the State this past Tuesday, and as we expected, um, school choice remains a significant part of the Governor's reform agenda. Um, uh, so uh, we expect that the charter schools that, that I just referred to, the charter school bills, will be heard over again this new legislative session. Um, but the outcome, the outcome, I have to tell you, for this kind of reform really remains unclear. Um, the governor wishes to continue to expand the number of charter schools since it brings choice. It's all-important choice to parents. But he's got to get legislative approval to make any changes to the law. Um, so we have already gone over the uh, composition of the committees. As Mike said, the big surprise um, is uh, Senator Doherty on the Senate Ed Committee. I don't know that we'll get any such surprises uh, on the uh, Assembly Education Committee, but we'll see. Um, as all of you know who are listening, um, and as we've talked about many times in the past, one of the greatest contentions among our membership is the siting of charter schools. Um, and I'm not going to revisit that discussion now because we all know it. But I thought it was significant that um, at the Voorhees Town Hall meeting held by the governor earlier this week, the governor indicated that he clearly understood that sentiment. Um, when he said that he would support legislation that would require local approval for charter schools. And this is music to our ears. As you just heard Mike say, um, as we do with all legislation, for all of us to go to the State House and testify on any of these things or any conversations that we have, we tell them all the time that what we are all about is the local approval of our boards. Um, so we're very happy to hear that. The governor also said that his, and I'll quote, Belief is that we should be focusing on charter schools and failing school districts, end quote. So even um, it, that was very encouraging. Uh, and another quote from his speech was, uh, I do not believe that charter schools are best suited in districts in general that are successful. And that was greeted by loud applause uh, and uh, our applause among it. Um, so among them, uh, by the way. So Christie said that he hoped the legislature would give him a reform bill within the next six months. 
and we anticipate that such a bill is forthcoming. Um, uh, we're expecting an omnibus bill, uh, so to speak, that will take care of, that will address some of the things that we have been bringing up um, for a very, very long time, the contention over the siting, contention over uh, the chaos that districts are thrown into when a, when a charter school is first announced. So we are hopeful and working on trying um, to, you know, to get those those messages uh, reinforced with all our legislators. Earlier this month, um, the Bergen County School Boards Association sponsored a panel discussion on charter schools, which was very well attended by our members. Uh, Ray Whitt, it was actually uh, Essex County, not Bergen. I'm sorry. Where am I getting Bergen? I've got Bergen <laughs> on the brain today, I guess, because now. Um, uh, anyway, Essex, thanks, Ray. Uh, and um, Ray was made some comments um, that I thought would are, are really interesting for all of us since we're just talking about the general topic of charter school issues. Um, and here's just a, a, a quick little primer on charter schools. Charter school law was enacted more than 16 years ago and hasn't changed. Currently, we have 80 charter schools in operation in New Jersey, and of them, 80% are in urban school districts. By this coming September, it's expected there will be 100 charter schools in operation serving 25,000 students. Most are successful, but some have failed. 35 charters have been revoked, non-renewed, or surrendered. And charter schools may be sponsored by groups of parents, teachers, colleges, and private entities, but not by local school boards. DOE remains the sole authorizer of charter schools in New Jersey, unlike other states. And of the 35 other states that have charter schools, 31 of them uh, can sponsor. When we get a charter school reform bill, um, our position will be guided by policy, as you know. Um, and I'll just tell you uh, before we, that we have two beliefs in our policy on this. Um, and these drive our actions. Uh, one says educational opportunity for all students and community governance of public education through the local board of education. So they remain part of everything that we say about charter schools. So we believe it's high time for an overhaul of the law because there are uh, the areas that I that I mentioned. Uh, and to just as a as a sidelight, we were waiting for this news yesterday. It came late in the day. Um, there were some new charter schools approved, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, and I'll tell you where they are. Camden, Camden, Millgrove, uh, Millville, Pittsgrove, Vineland, Camden, Jersey City, two in Newark, and one in Trenton. Um, uh, as anticipated, we at least got an announcement by, by that, uh, from the DOE. Uh, so, um, uh, we we have. I just wanted to tell you quickly. You'll remember at our last ledge committee meeting, there was a request made by this committee of the president um, with re discussing charters, and that was to establish a charter school committee in the association. So the ad hoc charter school committee's charge is to review NJSB policies regarding charter schools, report back to the president regarding any recommendations that the group may have to revise, to add to policy, whatever. Uh, and that uh, from from there it would be sent to the DA for action. Um, you'll be hearing more about that soon. That's about all I can tell you is the charge. Um, and and um, and again, uh, there are a couple of bills of note. Um, and and interestingly, one that was mentioned in the D, the the press release about these charter schools yesterday. Normally, the DOE does not include 
a mention of a bill in their press releases, but it did it did um, uh, mention the Jay Weber bill on charter schools, which saw no action at all last session, and who knows may not see any uh, any action in this session. But um, the one important thing about that I just want to tell you is that in Jay Weber's bill, it does give authorization to local school districts. Um, so stay tuned to, to hear about the same bills we told you about last session. Myla Jacy has several several bills in um, on uh, charter schools, uh, and um, we expect that they will start moving and grooving very soon. And I'd be glad to take any questions. I, I see. I might have one question. I'm not sure. Uh, but just to re- reiterate, because um, I, I heard Senator Kane say in our show and Senator yeah. Sweeney that it looks like there will be some uh, bill passed that will look at the the charter school law. Good. Yeah. So it, and that's it, it reiterating what you at. just I think said everybody, everybody would agree, right? Yep. Uh, Ava, your hand's still up, so I don't know if that's just from the old, or do you have a question? Yes, I do. Okay. Right now, the charter schools we're talking about are with mortar and and bricks. However, we heard about the virtual school in Teaneck. Mm-hmm. Where does the state stand on virtual schools? There, and there, I don't would it be I, as charter schools. I'm sorry, Ava, I interrupted you. What was the last last part of your sentence? I heard where do they stand on virtual schools, and what was the last? And would they be considered charter schools? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the answer to that question is I can't answer the question. I don't know that the state stands anywhere on virtual schools, to be honest with you. Um, the um, As far as I could determine... Um, uh, from people that I have spoken to when uh, the issue was uh, going in Teaneck, which was very, very, really uh, tore the community up there, um, was that um, the, it, you know, as you know, the, the application was rejected. Um, and they don't really put out any, they don't really put out any guidance documents that I've seen that address the virtual charter school issue. I guess it's going to come up again because it's going to be a great way for people to make money. Um, by the way, there there has been a virtual charter school um, approved in the state, uh, and it is essentially, I don't know the name of it, I know it's Monmouth and Ocean, and it, and it came from the Monmouth Ocean Jointure which has been in existence, I guess, about 10 or 12 years. Uh, and it is not yet operational either. They, this was their second planning year. Um, so um, we expect that as this um, – uh, and, and interestingly enough, Ava, I'll tell you that with just the research that I've done, there is very, very little – Barbara? I think we I lost Barbara. Yeah, I can't hear her either. Okay. Um yeah. and I can't hear her. Okay, but, Ava, um, uh, I think she was going to go that there was not much evidence that uh virtual schools have uh, had academic achievement. Right, uh, I saw that there was an article in the paper that um is showing that there's little academic or or not as a great of an academic achievement in the virtual schools. So last night, for those of us that were at the board of directors, Ray Wiss did share with us that he brought that up at the Lee meeting, and the individual from the Department of Education said it's something that they are looking at. So I I think it's it's as board members we need to be vigilant on that. 
I know some of our high schools do offer virtual courses, so as technology expands and we're going in uh, very uh, warp speeds with technology, that's looming uh, before right. us. I think when they look at the – and Mike can jump in here too. I think when they look at the charter school legislation, I think the legislature will be looking at virtual schools too. Um, that will be something that will be addressed, And I, but I think they're – something that's going to be an issue for the upcoming couple of years out, you know, for the future. Yeah, I, I think that in picking up on what Ray just said, the the uh charter school application that was recently rejected, um, although there's not a lot of detail on on, on the reasons why, there were there were some serious questions about whether or not some legislation might not be required because this was a statewide charter school. And Ava like you said, there there are uh, charter uh, or virtual options now being offered by, by by high schools around the state, but they're limited to students in the district. And I think um, the threshold question isn't whether or not the virtual option can can work, because it apparently is working in some districts. It's a question of can it be applied over a larger area, in this case the entire state. And there's some logistical questions that I think the legislature will have to grapple with before this goes any further. Um, it, it, it may well be that you see a, a, a virtual option for a local charter school, but I, I, the statewide question begs a lot of broader issues about how the resources uh, can be derived from from students and 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 their virtual attendance. So I, I think there's a little water that's going to go under the bridge before we see this option on a statewide basis. All right, uh, absolutely. But I think we have to be vigilant and. Also, I can see this being picked up by homeschoolers. Yeah, I think that's I, I one of their markets. I don't disagree. I think one of the markets is homeschoolers for these virtual schools. Uh, but, uh, Ava, you were right. Uh, I think everyone needs to be vigilant in this area because it's something that a lot of people do see. Uh, Mike and I attended a seminar in Washington, uh, Washington D.C., and virtual schools were looked at as maybe a part of the solution. So, um, And I'm not saying they're not. A lot of people do use virtual education as a small component of what the district offers, but you are correct. Uh, Ava, I'm going to put you back on hold. Uh, and if you have a question, press 1 again. Uh, Barbara, are you back? I am back, and I apologize. I don't know what happened, but I'm back. Uh, well, that's part of the problem. Uh, I think we're, <laughs> we've wrapped up on that anyway. Any final brief comments? Uh, well, no. I, I, I kind of heard half of what Ava said, and uh, just so that all of you know, this the the um, the ver as, as you just uh, piggyback on on what Mike said, um, this technology has been in use a very very long time in schools for uh, you know teaching uh, languages that don't get a big enrollment and uh, many many things. Uh, so it's not new. And um, and Avi, you're absolutely right. We're going to see more of it coming. Uh, and um, I don't know. I guess I, I don't think that the or, or, or I guess I'll put it this way. I'm not sure the department department was any more prepared for virtual charter schools at that point than anybody else was. But we are we are on it and learning as much about it as we can because the the difference would be, as you said, of a, a virtual charter school essentially becomes a charter school for it could be a charter school for the state. You know, I mean it's it's a uh, it's a, a new uh, it's a new entity, and we definitely will uh, learn as much about it as we can, 
and uh, and be listening for all signs of these kinds of things coming up. So um, I think that just about wraps it up okay. on, on what we can say at the moment. We'll be moving on to other issues. Uh, I will note that the, this charter school committee that uh, President Wiss um, appointed will be dealing with uh, virtual schools. That, in fact, that was one of the impetus that we have to have this committee to get ahead of the curve on that issue. So great. thank you, Barbara. Uh, Mike, uh, we're going to do some crystal balling on the issues that ha haven't been passed but have been discussed for the past year. Um, let's start. The governor uh, mentioned it in the state of the state, tenure reform. He's He wants to do something on it. Senator Sweeney says he wants to do something on it. Senator Ruiz wants to do something on it, and Senator Kane said they want to do something on it. Will we do something on it? I think that there's there's sort of an inevitability about tenure reform, and and the 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 question has sort of multiple layers. Um, on on the one hand, I think the the initial focus when the governor talked about this was related to this idea that barring the, the instances where teachers were dismissed for some egregious behavior the idea that ineffective teachers can be brought up on tenure charges because they're quote-unquote ineffective um, has not yielded very many dismissals of teachers over the last 10, 10 or so years. And, and the, the concept there was about honing in on the instances where you've got a mismatch between students who need the best teachers they can possibly get and teachers who are borderline effective if that and, and, and perhaps not not effective at all, but have not done anything that breaks the law, and hence it's been very difficult because of the process involved in, in bringing up formal tenure charges. So the first tier of the discussion has been submitted by the NJEA, the idea of streamlining the, the, the tenure review process, um, and, and they're seeking to, to create a, a consensus around going to uh, binding arbitration that would allow the ultimate decision to go into the hands of a, a third-party arbiter. Um, President Wiss and, and other reps from the School Boards Association and the larger meeting with other educational groups talked through that issue, and we had some major problems with it. Um, the, the idea that NJA is putting forward is they just want to fix what, what is viewed by many as a, a uh, a, a difficult process, a time-consuming, costly process. But the the, the issue that 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 West really talked through was it, it's not so much that that um, we need to fix the process, but we need to figure out a way to hone in on the fact that we have teachers in the classroom who, at one point in time, were doing a great job, but at some point in their career, really stopped performing in any in any way that that can be considered effective, and. This discussion sort of ties in directly to the whole teacher evaluation proposal that's out there and being piloted. Um, I, I think that there's a sense, and the governor has said this very strongly, that a part of the, the new evaluation system has to come up with some component of measuring student achievement, not necessarily their performance on tests, but their growth in, 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 in some measure of their learning ability from the beginning of the year through the end of the year. And this is fraught with questions about how do you measure um, the, 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 the courses that are somewhat tenuous, like art and, and music and so on, and how do you make a subjective decision. But the, 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 the broader issue for the state is that 
coming back to the discussion a few minutes ago about the, the federal waiver, um, there's a sense that at, at the national level, um, some of the things that are being considered as solutions to to getting past AYP are, are taking a hard look at, at the way states evaluate teachers and, and the way they do granting of tenure. Um, so I think something has to happen. The, 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 the question now will be just what form it takes. There's two bills out there that are carryover from the last session. Um, Senator Carolis has a bill, which is the, the administration's preferred bill, and Senator Ruiz had a proposal that she put out, um, I guess, last June. We had some initial problems with the bill because the legislation um, essentially took the ultimate tenure decision away from the local board of education. Um, in discussions I've had with Senator Ruiz since then, um, they're rethinking that, and, and I think that we'll see an amended version of the bill being introduced relatively soon that will restore, at least in part, the board's discretion to, to take action and recommendations by principals and or superintendents. But I think um, I talked to, to the Education Commissioner the other day, and he seems to think that there's a short window to get this done by by, by May of this year. I, I told him that it's probably optimistic, but I, I think that this will continue to be a discussion because it, it's, it's necessary in, in so many different iterations of the discussion about improving educational outcomes in the state. Um, you know, be, uh, well, we have a question here. Uh, let me just get John. Do you have a question? Actually, my okay. my comment was for uh, the previous, uh, and it was just the fact that the, the committee uh, is being constituted by Ray Wiss, uh, and it should they should begin their work shortly. Uh, but but also it's it's the kind of committee that needs to look at not just where we stand today, but also where we're going in the future. But it was that was in reference to Barbara's presentation, though. Okay. Uh, there's another John on the line. John Vandermolen, do you have a question? Yeah. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Good. Uh, in terms of uh, the governor made it clear in his uh, speech on Tuesday, he had said uh, teachers, in terms of RIFs, uh, he doesn't agree with the, of the position of a last in, first out. Mm -hmm. uh, how does how our position uh, agree with that or disagree with that? Uh, we, we do agree with that. In fact, in, in conversations I've had with several legislators, including Senator Ruiz, uh, from, from the vantage point of the School Boards Association, the tenure discussion that, that's being put forward, in our opinion, doesn't go far enough. We, we want five-year renewable contracts. But, but I, I told Senator Ruiz that the, the key issue here is the seniority issue, the last and first out. If we could, if we could come to closure on this idea that districts face with, with tight fiscal environments, which we know is going to be the norm for the immediate future, who have to make the bad decisions about who stays and who goes, should be able to decide based on their, their evaluation of their best teachers who stays and who goes. And I think the governor is right there, and, and that's a concept that we've long supported, because this idea that you know you, you, you keep teachers based on seniority doesn't always benefit districts. Did I answer your question, John? Yes, right. Thanks. All right. I'll put you on hold and just press one again if you have another question. Uh, Mike, when you were talking about uh, teacher evaluations, originally we were going to have a new evaluation system next in September of 2012. And it seems like the state has uh, slowed down the process somewhat. I, I guess they, they used the term, uh, one of the staff members, they want to get it right uh, and not do it as quickly. Uh, is that something that you see happening too, that it's, it's slowed down? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the the most recent official pronouncement from the department was that they wanted to take this pilot statewide this next school year, but only in the context of doing one school in a district. Now, there's a lot of our districts who only have one school. So since that time, there's been a lot of questions about the, the cost associated with implementing the evaluation system and the training of staff, et cetera, and, and there's, there's been some discussion at the department about whether or not they'll use some of the recent race to the top money that they got. They got, they got about $38 million, and about half of that is, is accrues directly to the department. Um, there seems to be a sense now that they're rethinking this, this idea of going, expanding the pilot on a limited basis statewide in September because, as you just said, uh, there's, there's a lot of things about the current pilot that haven't gotten as far as they wanted it to this year. And if they're going to do this, and, and it's not just going to be a paper exercise, they want to make sure that this is implemented correctly. So I think we'll see in, in the next several weeks, if, 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 if not sooner, some, some additional statements by the Department of Education about where this is going. Um, your point is exactly right, right? They, they've, they've made it clear that this is not about just moving forward to move forward. They, they want to do something that's going to stick, and hence, if it's going to take a while longer to get it right, that's what they're going to do. Uh, and going back to your original plan on Senator Ruiz's tenure reform proposal, which uh, took the boards and superintendent out of the hiring or limited their uh, role in the personnel process, I know a lot of boards sent resolutions uh, and contacted their legislators on, on that particular clause. Do you think that had an effect on the senators? Bill? I think it definitely did. I, mean, I, I had a lengthy conversation with her about that, and, and she had some concerns that 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 you know so many boards were were responding to that resolution. I I think that you know the, the whole discussion of tenure reform really revolves around teacher evaluation. In her bill, essentially, local districts create a teacher evaluation system that gets approved by the commissioner. And that's basically their entire input into the into the tenure process. The principals in schools and the districts take that evaluation methodology that the board approves, and they use it to make tenure decisions. We've suggested that we want the boards to be to be deciding on the teacher evaluation system, but we don't want the principals to unilaterally decide tenure. We want the boards to have to approve their decisions. And, and I think the discussion of this tenure reform pilot, or I'm sorry, teacher evaluation pilot goes right to the discussion of how quickly tenure reform will move because you can't really do a, a tenure reform law unless you have a, a teacher evaluation pilot that everybody agrees to. They go hand in hand. Uh, Mike, is there any other uh, issue? I don't see uh, – there might be one more question. John Bellini, do you have any comments on tenure reform or uh, teacher evaluations? Uh, uh, just about the evaluation process, uh, If you, Mike, if you might touch base on what Marie mentioned last night at the board of directors meeting. Uh, about uh, districts putting money aside for uh, the process. Well, I think right now, you know, we're we're in the initial stages at at the department of of getting budget instructions, et cetera, and and we've asked directly to a lot of different people at the department as to whether or not districts are going to be getting any additional resources from the state to implement or or to do the first phase of of, of their own pilots for teacher evaluation. Um, thus far, there's been there's been no official word from the department that any funds are going to be forthcoming. 
However, I think um, in the context of the discussion I recently had with the commissioner, he, 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 he did admit that, you know, there are costs associated with this, and the state has provided grants to the to the to the districts that are doing this across the board now so um we're we're anticipating that there's going to be something in the context of the budget instructions from DOE um when when we asked them point blank whether there there would be some consideration of a cap exemption for example not them not putting money in but giving districts a, a, an option to to provide the resources outside of their 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 cap limitation the, the answer was a resounding no um when we asked back in the fall we asked uh, the deputy commissioner if there would be any any pot of money allocated in in the state budget for this once again the answer was a resounding no but that was before they got this federal money from from this limited race to the top application so we're optimistic that DOE is going to recognize that districts can't do this in a vacuum and in in the context of a, a a tight fiscal environment, which continues, um, if they have to do pilots at, at, at the mandate of the state, um, they're going to have to make difficult decisions about other programs. So we're optimistic that there's going to be a meeting of minds on this, and there'll be some clearer guidance moving forward. All right, we're going to move on to a, another issue, uh, which I know is the, the school board elections. Uh, I can't tell if she has one final question on this. Uh, we have a little technical difficulty, but Ava, did you have a question on t tenure reform? Yes, I did, and I appreciate the update, and I know that we're going to be moving, um, starting this in 2013, but this also sounds like it's an unfunded mandate. How can we pursue that avenue in addition? Uh, you know, we have HIV put on us. That is costing the districts. We have so many other mandates now. This is put on top of us in light of the 2% cap on on um, our tax increases. so You mean a teacher evaluation is unfunded mandate? Yes, right. it yeah. is none. While it's very important, and I'm glad, you know, we're addressing it as on a state level, however, again, it's additional monies we have to put out through mandate, being mandated by the state, and we still have that 2% um, cap on us for tax levy. I think that's one of the reasons they've slowed down the process. But Mike, do you want to comment? Yeah, I, I think that you know, in playing devil's advocate, and I'm not a proponent of this argument, but I can hear people at the Department of Education saying, "Don't you invest money in the evaluation system now? And, and if you're if you're going to do a, a new iteration, it's not really a mandate in the sense that it's something that's already built into your base in some capacity." Um, granted, there's going to be additional cost, and, and they're asking districts to find the resources to do it, which we believe is going to be a hardship. But to say that it's it's a it's a new, totally brand new issue that did never exist before isn't exactly true. All right. This also ties in with the fact that we have to revamp all of our technology because state testing is going to be uh, via electronic. Oh, so I, you know, we're scrambling we're in our local districts trying to figure out how to do all of this and then enter negotiations and everything else um, and additional charter schools on top of us. It's no picnic. The, this this whole idea of data-driven analysis, which is a, another component of, this, of the, the pending waiver with the U.S. Department of Education, assumes that districts are going to be able to generate the, the kind of data that DOE wants to use to measure student student achievement and 
target their resources to districts where there are significant gaps. And the assumption there is that districts have the resources already and the technology in place to do this. And that's going to be a, a, a bigger issue, ultimately, I think, in terms of cost for districts and teacher evaluation. Absolutely. And we Ava? need additional staff in order to help us with that data. Right. Yes, Ava, I'm going to, uh, time is getting close, and I want to get on to our final uh, issue. Uh, but you are correct. It, probably the new teacher evaluation models that they're talking about requires an upgrade in technology, more time, more assessment, uh, and we reduced the number of administrators we had for the last few years to do these evaluations. Uh, so uh, it's something that we'll be vigilant on. But I want to get, get on to the the next uh, and last issue uh, for t this uh, meeting, and that would be uh, school board elections being moved. Uh, that's something that happened in the Lane Duck session, and luckily with us today we have uh, John Burns. John, give us a brief overview. But before you do, uh, if anyone has any questions on this, uh, I know there's a lot of nuances in, in, that may hold in your district, please press 1. Uh, if you've already asked a question, you may have to hit one a couple of times. Um, so, John, just uh, could you give us a, a overview? Certainly, right. Um, the uh, November school election bill uh, was introduced in the legislature uh, on December 1st of 2011, um, and it was signed into law on January 17th of 2012. Um, and in general, the bill does the following things. One, it allows uh, the change of the April uh, annual school election to November um, through uh, the three following means. First, the school board may pass a resolution to move the election to November. Second, the municipal governing body may uh, pass a resolution moving the April election to November. Finally, um, a, a petition uh, presented um, to the school board that comprises at least 15% of the voters from the last presidential election, um, they can have the question to move the election to November placed on the ballot, and then um, uh, that uh, referenda will be heard at the November election, at which time then, if it passes at the following November election, that school board election is then um, moved to November. Um, here's what we know with regard to the bill. If your board moves their election to November, um, the deadline to file for candidacy uh, is Tuesday, June 5th, which is the date of the primary election. Um, and uh, instead of submitting your petition to the school board as you would for the April school election, you will be submitting it to uh, directly to the county clerk. Um, and then uh, for boards that have moved their election to November, uh, board members would be elected um, at uh, that election on Tuesday, November 6th. And um, the November, um, uh, those people that are elected in November would then um, take their seats the first week of January. Um, if a board does move from April to November, what occurs then is uh, the terms of those board members are then extended um, until uh, 
the reorganization in January. Um, now, uh, that's just a general overview of the bill. Uh, there are some significant questions uh, that we still don't know the answers to. Um, first of all, what is the deadline by which a board needs to decide whether or not they want to move their election uh, to November? Uh, the bill is silent on that issue. Uh, or excuse me, I should say the law is silent on that issue. Um, New Jersey School Boards Association uh, has put forward the position that a board or a municipality needs to make this decision at the very latest by the deadline for uh, candidates' petition for the April election, which for this year is February 27th of 2012. Um, and the reason uh, that we put forward this position is because the whole intent of the bill um, is uh, to save money on uh, on election costs. And so NJSBA believes that once a board begins to incur costs with regard to the school election, at that point then um, uh, your opportunity for uh, changing the election uh, uh, is then over for that year. Um, an another question uh, that we have is, in the bill it talks about that there needs to be agreement between the County Board of Elections and the school board with regard to the apportionment of the additional costs for having the school board election uh, on the November ballot. Um, but the uh, law does not say exactly how that's going to be apportioned um, and exactly what exactly will be charged to the school board um, if, a, if a board does choose to move to November. Um, the uh, Department of Education, the Division of Elections, the Department of Community Affairs, and the Attorney General's Office met this past Friday um, to try and uh, come up with guidelines that would hopefully answer some of these questions. Um, and we're hoping um, that they will produce uh, those guidelines uh, hopefully um, later this coming week. Um, NJSBA uh, is also putting together um, an election FAQ, um, which we will hopefully have available uh, later this week as well. Uh, John, how many, uh, I know it was signed into law this week. Uh, last count, I think there was probably a little over 20 districts that have already voted to move their election that we know of. Um, uh, yeah, I, as of yesterday, there were 19 um, that, have, uh, that have already moved. Um, and we, we probably uh, know of about a half dozen others who have scheduled um, meetings for this coming week uh, to take up that question. Um, uh, so um, it is something that um, uh, boards out there are considering and 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 discussing. All right, uh, Amory, is there a question from the chat room? I see your hands up. Uh, yes, Ray. Um, the uh, statute requires boards to recognize within two weeks of election. Uh, to uh, excuse me, to reorganize within two weeks of election. Was that law changed? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, what that question goes to is, if your election is in April. Um, you organize 
we have the opportunity to organize uh, the two full weeks after the school board election. However, if your board moves their election to November, um, what occurs then is organization is then in January following the November election. And you only have uh, one week in which to organize, and that's the first week of January. Okay. Any other questions from the? Oh, I guess I guess not. Uh, Anne Marie, any more questions from the chat room? Um, let's see. My question is yes, from John. This is from Mike Gluckman. My question is, if a board moves their election and the first year comes in at one percent tax levy on their budget, can that banked cap? be used the following year without having to ask a second question on the November ballot. Is that clear? Yes, I know what he's asking. John? Okay. Uh, yeah, the the cap banking rules um, have not changed as a result of this new election law. Um, so uh, those uh, rules that remain in place, uh, that were in place prior to this law, uh, are still in place now with regard to uh, cap banking. All right, I have another question. Uh, Dan, Dan Boyle, how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. How are you? Um, curiosity on this new uh, new law. I'm I'm assuming that the uh, the period of time went into effect too. That once you decide to move the election, that it is a a four year commitment by the board that 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 election will uh, remain yes. in for four years. Yes. John, you want to elaborate what happens at the end of four years? Um, yes, you are indeed correct. Uh, if you decide to move your election to November, it is um, a, a four-year commitment. Um, at the end of four years, um, a uh, board uh, municipality or, or the voters can uh, decide to then move it back to April. Um, one of the interesting nuances, though, is that um, – when you move it back to April, there is not that same similar four-year commitment. Um, uh, the law does not mention that if you move back to April. So what it sets up um, is a um, uh, the possibility of uh, you move to November for four years, uh, you move back to April for one. At the end of that first April election, um, it could then be moved back to November for for four years, um, and uh, um, that's in general how uh, how it works. Okay, Dan. Yes, thank you very much. All right, I'll put you on hold, and we we have a couple more questions uh, that I want to get to. Hi, Donna. How you doing? This is Ray. I'm Ray. I'm doing good. Um, I have a question about the budget and the move to November, and I ju mm -hmm. I just wanted some clarity. From what I understand is that if moved to November, you no longer it will not be necessary to have the budget on the ballot as a separate question for um, for the public. So, is is that correct? Um, I'm not quite sure how this is an advantage for the school board and the school board's budget. Well, you wouldn't um, have to vote on the budget if you're at cap or below cap. So you wouldn't not just for second questions if you move to November. Though you do have to go through the public hearing portion. I believe that's correct, right, John? Uh, uh, that is correct. The, um, in general, the same budget rules apply in terms of the budget calendar, uh, the public hearing, all of those aspects 
remain the same. The only thing that's different is if you move to November, um, with regard to the budget, there is no uh, vote on your budget at or below cap. Okay. And then currently, even if it is below cap, you still have to vote on it? Uh, uh, that is correct. If, if uh, your election is not moved to November, uh, then everything remains the same in terms of you would still have your April election at which you would elect your board members and have your vote on the budget. It, and that includes even if it's below cap. Okay, okay thank you. Ready to get in? Hello. Hello, Ray. Ray? Ray. Yeah, I'm not sure he's still on. Oh. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know what happened. It could be technical problems. Are you hear me, Mike, or I can. Okay. Um let me just toss it to you, maybe you can bring this this up. Um what happened when I got home last night, I Got my email, my update from my uh, superintendent, and evidently uh-huh. uh, all oh, the constituents. Okay. Okay. Uh, Bob, uh, I had Bob Carlson on. Bob, are you on? Yes, I am. Uh, you had a question? Yes. Uh, do we have to do anything on this April or uh, November vote? You mean no? You mean in terms of, does it require action? Yeah. Um. No, there is nothing in the law that says that a board must uh, do anything at all. Um, uh, for those boards that uh, are taking action and moving their uh, elections to November, um, uh, many of them are doing it because they uh, consistently uh, have a failed budget, um, and so uh, they want to have the opportunity to um, uh, do away with that budget vote so that they don't have to go through um, the uh, process of having um, the municipal cuts and um, then have the uh, um, have to deal with where those cuts are going to come from. Okay, so, Bob, so we you don't, don't have to. So we don't have to do anything right now. If we don't. Uh, if we don't uh, want to move it to November. We don't have to do anything. That, that, that's that's right, exactly right. right. You can continue uh, with business as usual. And what's the latest, what's the deadline that we'd have to take a resolution to move it to November for this year? Well, um, the law is silent on that issue. NJSBA has said that at the very least, um, that date uh, is probably the date for uh, candidates' petitions, which is February 27th. Um, uh, but um, we are awaiting um, guidance from uh, the state on what that deadline may be. It may actually be um, a few weeks earlier than February 27th, um, but we're we're awaiting guidance on that, and hopefully that guidance will be out later this week. Okay, Bob. Okay. All right, I have a couple more questions. Uh, let me get to. Uh, uh, John Vanoy, you should be on. Oh. Oh. Uh, yes. Thank you. Um, my question uh, to John Burns is, uh, 
you, I thought you had mentioned that there was no change. If, if we had voted, we're possibly going to do that this Wednesday night uh, to move to November, that there'd be no change in the actual calendar for budget preparation. Maybe I misunderstood what you said. But I um, had heard that we might not have to submit our budget to the county until May if we move to November. <laughs> John? Um, uh, th yes. That, that is true. There is an adjustment in that date um, uh, that the, the final certification of your um, budget, um, I believe, it would now be, and I will get that out for you here, um, I believe it's now May 19th, um, but in any case, the process uh, is still the same uh, with regard to um, the budget process in terms of it still needs to be approved by the uh, county superintendent, and it still needs to go through that process. Uh, and and um, May 19th is that um, it, it is that deadline um, that the um, amounts need to be certified. And that, but that's only if uh, you move to November. And they still okay. have to have a public hearing on it, right, John? Uh, that I is true. The, the public hearing um, portion, the public hearing requirement, is still um, in uh, statute. And uh, it's, uh, there is no exception uh, if a board moves their election to November. Okay, John, Van Oyen, do you have any okay. more questions? Uh, I just uh, briefly follow on is uh, if we have to, if we can wait till May 19th, it gives us an opportunity to give a more realistic budget to the citizens by. Uh, waiting until we see how much state and federal uh, money will be coming our way. Um, and is that generally true? I mean, is that uh, a wise way to go for us uh, to proceed if we move to November election? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, um, uh, you know, defer to uh, your administration and your board attorney on that issue in terms of um, yeah. You know what what's best for you. I mean, certainly um, the uh, certification of that budget being later, if you go to November, it, it certainly does give you more time. Whether or not that gives you um, uh, uh, a greater opportunity to interact with your public and to and to firm up those numbers, uh, you know, in general, that that does seem like a good process, but I'm not going to, uh, I can't definitely say for sure that, oh, uh, you know, moving to November uh, is a good thing because of the later uh, uh, May 19th deadline for, for the budget. Um, but So um, I'm going to uh, defer to your administration and your board attorney on that. Okay, John, I'm going to put you on hold because I have a few more callers. Thank you. Okay, John. Uh, and Anne-Marie, we do you have another question from the chat room? Uh, yes, Ray. Uh, could boards continue the budget vote in November, or are they required to eliminate the vote on the budget if they move to a November election? And this is from Jay Smith Howell. Um, by law, if the board moves their election to November, there is then no vote on the school budget 
if that school budget is at or below cap. And, and there is no choice in that. Uh, the law sets up that if the election is moved to November, there is no vote on the budget at or below cap. I have uh, one more uh, question. It looks like Deborah Bridges. How are you, Deborah? Good morning, Ray. How are you? Good morning, John. How are you? How's everyone this morning? Very good. My question, good. My question is, okay, now that we're going to have staggered terms coming in because we're going to have the uh, November election and some people may still be keeping the April elections, will the New Jersey School Board still honor those um, that are being uh, – Not. I know we will honor them, but – people will be assured that if they're elected as a chairperson or a committee person that they will fill that term until their term expires? You mean like uh, for for our internal committees? Yes, for our internal committees and for our executive officers, I mean for the uh, uh, our executive officers of the New Jersey School Board Association. I think our committees... Because some, because uh, some will be elected in November, some will be elected in April. Uh, it's probably something that we will have to look at eventually, but right now we're keeping our – they're governed by – most of the terms are governed by the delegate assembly and our policy. Uh, so I think we would probably have, be forced to keep the terms as we have now. Uh, it could create a situation where someone's elected president and then they lose an election in November. Uh, but, uh, John, do you have anything to add oh, to that? No, I mean, I mean I'll just add to that, but um – the executive director, Marie Billick, has um, set up um, some internal task forces to look at the effects of the November school election bill on the um, uh, uh, rhythm and season of, of NJSBA as it uh, relates to training, um, as it relates to the delegate assembly, uh, to see um, uh, what impact the November election uh, will have with regard to um, the programs that we offer and how we offer them and whether or not the November school election will affect um, attendance. And as part of that, um, the General Council of New Jersey School Boards Association, Cindy Yon, is looking at how um, the November school election uh, will affect um, uh, the DA or, or other things like that. And so we are currently in the process of looking at that. And... Um, if there does need to be changes, um, uh, we will make uh, those changes accordingly. Um, so it's a very astute question uh, that Deborah asked in terms of what what impact that will have on on New Jersey School Boards Association itself. And certainly, if it does have an impact on uh, terms of committees and so forth, um, I will certainly uh, notify um, uh, the membership um, as soon as we're able to to determine what impact that has. Okay, Deborah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll talk to you. Thanks a lot. Okay, Put you back on hold. Thank you. Okay. I think we have one more question. I'm not sure who it's from. Uh, you're on the air seven seven three two three four five. Ray, it's oh, me. Barbara. I just called back in. My phones are failing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just uh, listening. So, oh, you're just listening. Okay. I'm listening in case okay. somebody wants to. Ray, right, I just have an observation. The... I don't know if I'm on or not. Yes, you are. I was just about to call on okay. you. Okay. So. Uh, I just when I came home from the board of directors meeting last night, I had a uh, weekly update from my superintendent. I just like to share because I, I think it 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 speaks to what John 
uh, spoke about earlier. It says, as per New Jersey Association of School Business Administrators, the latest estimated deadline for passing resolution is February 10th, due to the fact that absentee ballots must be sent out by February 21st. State officials were supposed to be meeting yesterday in Trenton to determine the actual drop-dead date. Uh, the only reason I, I throw this out there is you have uh, boards like mine, for example, that met the day before the governor signed and will not meet again until the third Monday in February. Uh, and if we can get some communication out to confirm once we get the actual date from the administration, uh, it could, A, avoid confusion, but B, it can also save districts money uh, because then districts wouldn't have to go out and advertise for a special board meeting. Uh, I think we were monitoring uh, John You can John Burns. I have so many Johns uh, here. Uh, yeah. John, can you uh, comment on that? Because I know we were monitoring that, and we were going to get the information out as soon as we had it, right? Yes. Um, uh, we um, have a liaison with the Department of Education, um, and uh, uh, the meeting was held uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, and so on Monday, we will all sit down and see um, what was decided and and uh, and figure out exactly uh, what was determined um, by the DOE and the Attorney General's Office and the, and the Department of Community Affairs Office. Um, and as soon as we have that information, we will, of course, uh, put it out to the members so that um, uh, you don't have to uh, incur um, costs with regard to uh, special meetings and uh, or incur, incur costs um, on the school election if indeed you, you do choose to move it to November. Okay, All right. great, uh, thank you. I, uh, I'm sure we were going to do that, but just the fact that there was a conflicting inf a bit of information was put out, that's all. Yeah, well, hopefully, um, as I said, uh, this week um, we will uh, work in concert with, with those agencies and come up with uh, the, the that deadline that, so that that way there is no more confusion. Um, and the uh, New Jersey uh, Association of School Business Officials, um, you know, they're very good at saying, well, gee, when is the first time that we incur costs? And and that's with the uh, with the absentee ballot. Um, and so uh, I'm not surprised that they uh, gave a February 10th um, uh, date to that. But we will. Um, uh, put out the information as soon as we have it um, with regard to uh, what that bound de deadline is and confirm it is if it is that the very 10th deadline. All right. That's, Great. Uh, Thanks, we're, John. Com we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, Mike Francis, did you have any final comments? Uh, just in the context of the most recent questions, uh, everybody should watch our website because as soon as we get information through this convoluted process with all the state agencies that are weighing in on this, we'll be periodically updating on our website the latest information so that that's the, the most direct and quickest way for everybody to get information. And if not, call any of us. We're on this call now, and we'll be able to connect you with, with the most recent and, and, and up-to-date information available. Okay, uh, John Bellini, you have any final comments? Uh, the only thing, uh, my only comment is I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. Uh, stay home and enjoy the snow. Throw another log on the fire and enjoy a beverage of your choice this afternoon. <laughs> I think we will. Uh, John Burns, I forgot to thank you for your presentation on this. I'd like to thank Sharon, uh, Barbara, uh, also for their presentations earlier in the program, and Mike Vancek. Uh We put this together uh 
last minute. Uh, I apologize for any technical difficulties. I also would like to thank Christy uh, Ty and Emery uh, Smith for working the switchboard. Uh, we are all in separate locations across the state, so we sometimes had difficulty communicating with each other. And, uh, I'd like to thank them for doing this. Uh, and that brings us to the end of the show. And as Mike Rancic said, if you have any questions that we didn't get to, please email us. I think all of you have my email address, and I will forward it on to the appropriate uh, person. So uh, that's it. Thank you, and I'll be uh, closing the phone lines now. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye.